0: All right. If your neighbor came up to you and asked, I'm curious, what's the gospel? What would you say? (laughs) Why I'm alive. And maybe the first thing that would roll off our lips would be Jesus came into the world and lived, and died, and was buried, rose to heaven, so that when I die, I can go to heaven. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that probably is a fraction of the gospel that is this big, And the actual gospel is this big. The gospel, of course, is good news. So if your son keeps throwing himself in the fire because he's tormented, and Jesus comes along and goes, Okay, I will multiply bread for you, that's not good news. It's really good news if when your son is throwing himself in the fire, Jesus shows up and casts out the demon that's making your son do that. That's good news. If you are starving after hearing a very, very long sermon and you're about to collapse on the way and Jesus goes, is there anybody here who cuts themselves with a rock and lives in a cave? because I think the Holy Spirit really wants to do something for you today. That's not good news. What's really good news is if Jesus then creates fish tacos for everybody. That's good news. What is the gospel? Jesus at the point of need. Jesus at the point of need. And I want today to look at Jesus at the point of our need when we encounter something what I'm going to call a code. It's a code of conduct. It's, it's a rule. It's a law that actually disrupts our relationship with God and with others. Actually destroys our relationship with God and with others. And a little bit later on, we'll, we'll take a look at where that word sits in the Bible, in Colossians, this, this written code that stands against us. But we're going to unpack that. And my objective is, if there are times when you feel like, no matter how much I do, it's never enough, and, and it's frustrating and it's unfulfilling, and you're exhausted and depleted because no matter how much you do, it never seems to be enough. Uh, If that's your experience sometimes, then I'm going to help you detect that code for you at your point of need. And then next week, we're going to unlock what is that massive gospel that hacks that code? that gets right inside that code and obliterates it, all right? So that's what this is all going to be about. And I'm going to keep fairly close to my notes here because I want to make sure that I really respect your time. So the big picture is there is a code, and here's what it is. Earn worth and you can be loved. Earn worth and you can be accepted. You can be included. If you perform, you have value. It's a performance-based value system. If you cease to perform, you have no value. So, One might ask, what gives you value? And somebody might say, I have value because I'm saved. I would say, that's ridiculous. So the person who lives beside you doesn't have any value. What is it? we know it's not the house you live in we know it's not your job what is it that gives you value Why, why would you get to stay in the life raft and somebody else gets booted out what gives somebody value Catherine Okay, so there's one answer. And just for the people who didn't hear it here on the recording, because I've accepted my kinship with all of God's creation. So we want to unpack what is it that gives us worth? Because the code basically says you have no worth. You have no value unless you earn it. You have no value unless you can perform. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so I'm going to tell a bit of a story about myself and some of you have known me for 36 years. There's many of you here who have known me for over 20 years. You're going to know me a little bit more after I tell this story. In April, the wheels fell off for me. What I mean by that is my relationship with God became very, very problematic and troubled. And the way it got there was multifactorial, as you can imagine, but primarily for a year or two, I had been praying for a group of, a list of people. And these are people that I cared really deeply about. So, for example, Rachel Glenn's brother-in-law, Joel, with a tumor sitting on his brainstem, and children and a wife, and Bruce Smith and other people that we just desperately want to see either rescued from death or made whole. And so God kind of, does this where he sneaks into my life and and makes me care deeply, deeply, and then I engage. And when I engage in prayer, for me, I end up praying for these people every morning and really taking it on. And, you know, the whole thing around, you know, Elijah was a man like us and uh, he prayed and da, da 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 da. So, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, I, I slipped into I've got to be righteous to get these prayers answered. And I was fasting and doing all sorts of things discipline wise. And praying, you know, getting up very early in the morning, and I, I just really wanted to see breakthroughs for these people, but we weren't seeing breakthroughs. And concurrently, I ended up hitting the wall from a health point of view, despite, you know, I, I try to be fairly fit, um, and exercise and eat reasonably well. But uh, I just kept getting sick, and I I had strep like two or three times in a row. And I thought, I have to do something very significant here. So at that point, I stopped eating meat and dairy and wheat and coffee and alcohol and sugar. And all I had left basically was vegetables. Not because I wanted to be a vegan at all. I have no desire to do, to be that. But so here I am trying to get my health together and just locked in and engaged and not seeing things happen. And I, I kept getting sick. And I just felt like, God, I'm putting all of this in. I'm working so hard for you. And no matter how much I do, it's never enough. Why won't you move in these situations? I see several of you nodding, either because you go, yes, Brady, that's exactly what you're like, or, or you're going, yes, I've experienced that myself. And, and you might ask, I'm not a person who has not experienced the grace of God in the last 43 years as a Christian. I'm not a person who has not experienced the love of God. I'm not a person who has not experienced the care of Father God. How did I slip into that Because I got to the place where I was swearing at God. Now, And I see more of you nodding your head. (laughs) But I was, I came home from Zurich and I said to Teresa, I'm done. I'm done with God. I mean, it was, was, I felt so unsupported. Like you, you brought me in and you engaged me And then you left me hanging. So, and I don't know how I got there exactly, but Teresa and I are part of a community of runners and triathletes and all that, where it's all about performance. How fast did you run your last race? And how fast are you planning to run? And what's your goal? And are you training enough? Are you putting in the work? It is all about performance. You only have value if you perform. I'm part of a world where people pay me an obscene amount of money to show up and speak for one hour. I have to produce magic. I have to perform to have value. There are several places in my world that propel me right into the performance-based value system. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, but I have a feeling that some of that was moving me into this. If I do this, then I get that. If then cause and effect quid pro quo, something for something. That's the code. So let me just read from Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, having canceled the, the written code which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality with their self imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So you can see how someone like myself can slip away from the gospel and start to live out of the code with all this harsh treatment of the body and get to the place where, again, no matter how much I do, it's never enough. I, I had a time where I, I was wanting to go on this 40-day fast because there's a couple in the church that was really struggling. And so I, I fasted uh, just with water. And I got to 38 days, and I remember lying next to Teresa, and my body was convulsing because it had run out of fuel from the fat and the muscle and the brains and everything. My brains were gone. And, uh, and, and I said, I have to get to 40 days. I have to get. And she said, You are stopping now. So I stopped at 38 days. I was so crushed. It wasn't a fast at all, it was nothing. It was worse than nothing because I bailed out at 38 days when I'd committed to do a 40-day fast. No matter how much I do, it's never enough. That is the code. So, I am so ticked off with God I am swearing at God. I'm saying to Teresa, I'm not talking to God anymore. And it's the springtime, and I'm driving down the road, and I have the windows open, and I hear a cardinal sing. And before I can stop myself, I go, oh, thank you, God. That is so beautiful. And I go, oh, I am not talking to you. <laughs> Honestly, just like that. Teresa and I <clears throat> put a bunch of work into our house, and we're hoping the sale is going to go well we had 12 offers on our home. Ridiculous. People writing personal letters. Uh, We bought the house for this, and what it sold for, I can't even describe. It was absurd favor. Right in the midst of me, like, I'm not performing. I'm not, you know, following these strict, uh, dietary and not working out like he used to. I'm sitting watching Netflix, drinking beer and eating chips. And for me, that's like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Homer. And God is pouring out this absurd favor. Uh, I'm driving down the road and I'm late for a client And I do that thing, which we should never do. I reach for my device and I'm gonna ping the client and say, I'm gonna be 15 minutes late. And right then the traffic stops. And I run into a boat motor because somebody was towing their boat down the road. It broke one propeller blade off the motor. It totaled my RAV4. Ridiculous. And I am sitting there, I'm busted. I, I go, God, I am busted. I am going to come clean when the officer asked me what was going on. I'm going to tell him exactly what I was doing. And, you know, we have a conversation and the, the gentleman gives me his card. I give him my card and said, you're Brady Wilson. You, are you from Juicy's? I go buy your business all the time. I'm Evan McKinnon from McKinnon Transport. We have to talk about business. And I'm going, what's going on here? We go to the reporting center, and he goes in first. And by the time he's done, the officer says, yeah, Mr. McKinnon was just telling me a little bit about you. Uh, so give me your license, your registration, your insurance. Uh, I gave it to him. He said, so stop and go traffic, yes? And I said, yep. And I wasn't paying attention. And he goes, okay, well, da da there's your report. Uh, you're done. I said, that was fast. He said, unless you want me to charge you. I said, Would it take longer? (laughs) He said, get out of here. So I walk out. I'm standing in the sunshine going, God, that is ridiculous mercy. There wasn't even a chance for me to tell my story of how I blew it. And I haven't used my device in my vehicle. Like, I am clean now. I'm telling you, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And then in later in September, uh, for whatever reason, David Roos calls me out to this gathering in, uh, in Kelowna and, and a bunch of leaders are all meeting there and they're talking about leadership development in the vineyard. And I just didn't even consider that I would ever be at that table. But I'm at that table and there's just massive affirmation for the stuff that I'm talking about and our approach and our philosophy at juice. And I'm going, God, this is you invited me to the table, and you are affirming me through people that I respect deeply, like Brian Dirksen and David Roos, etc. I'm going, that is just outrageous affirmation. So in the midst of me, and you know what I'm saying here, I'm not saying uh, if you want God to show his outrageous mercy to you, start swearing at him. I hope you're getting that message, right? That that's not what this is about. It's despite the fact that I am not performing, God is constant. God is initiating God is reaching out and pouring outrageous grace and mercy and love on me. All right, let's get into this code and then we're going to wrap this thing up. You okay so far? Okay, good. I basically created a God in my own image. Actually, the image of my mom and dad. Um, so the code will cause you to create a monster God, the God I was swearing at, I became very clear after I'm receiving waves of mercy, waves of grace. I'm going, that's the real God. That's the beautiful father. Take all the characteristics of the most beautiful mother. Uh, nurturing and supporting and compassionate and kind and take all the characters of the most perfect father, uh, supporting and challenging and drawing forth and calling forth the person uh, and take all of those and multiply them by some untold, right? That's what God is like. He's beautiful. And I'm starting to go, okay, this is the beautiful God. The God I was swearing at was the monster God. I had created a monster who expected much, but supported little. So it forced me to go, where did that come from? And I thought about my mom and dad. And through that period, I was just thinking, okay, my mom was a super performer. She managed my dad's optometric practice for over 40 years, like 44 years. Uh, She had her own photography business. She raised five kids. She was so involved in the community, so involved in the church. She would take me along to the nursing home when I was a kid, and she's baking things for people and visiting. She was a super performer, and she expected much. She expected much from herself, and she expected much from us. My dad was an optometrist who flew all over Northern Ontario. He was gone at least two weeks of, of, of every month. And when he was there for whatever reason, because of his upbringing, he didn't know how to be interested, to engage, to initiate, to support, to mentor and coach and train and, and teach me how to do stuff. So I had a mother who expected much and a father who supported little. So I just created a God that looked exactly like that. He will draw me in and engage me by caring about people who I really love. And I will start trying to pray for them and see something happen. But he won't back me up and answer the prayers. He expects much supports little. So the code worked perfectly inside that view of God. The code, much will be expected, little will be supported. I have no worth unless I can earn it. I have no value unless I can perform. And this God is asking for massive performance. So here's a little bit about the code. As I said, it's quid pro quo. Something for something. If you give something, then you get something in return from God. It's if then. If you do this, then you get that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And da-da-da. Jesus said... If anyone obeys my commands, then my Father and I will come and make... So the if and then, if you, if you read the Bible, I will guarantee you, you will find hundreds of if-thens. Now, all of those if-thens can be filtered in two very different ways. A loving, magnificent Father, and that lens, or the lens of the code... And if you view all of those if-thens through the language of the code and through the lens of the code, you will never be enough. You will never be enough. And here's the thing about the code, where it says you have no worth. You will see people either trying to prove the code wrong, I do have worth, and becoming a super performer, and elite, and superior, and judgmental, and pharisaical, or you'll see people proving the code is right by saying, I will destroy my life in self-loathing and destructive behaviors. Either one is just proving that the code is right. I have no worth, so I have to either prove that I do or prove that I don't. It's the leaven Jesus confronted in the Pharisees. That's the code. It's the hypocrisy and the circumcision faction that Paul raged against in the book of Galatians and and took it on with all the energy inside of him. That is the code. It's the wrong tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Versus the tree of life. It's the serpent coming to you and saying, you're not enough. You could be so much more. You could be like God. You could have so much more. That's the code. It produces death. And as Chris has been talking about, God is always working. God is always creating. The code is anti-creation. It's destruction. So, here's how we'll end. I'm going to ask a couple people if you could just hand one of these to each of us. You can see that there are staples there. I was going to do two pages, but it was going to take too long. So you got the merciful version here. So we've walked through the first half of this page. And if you were trying to diagnose the code for yourself, there would be many places you could look. But here are just a few that came to me, and I I fall prey to many of these. So the first one, if you find yourself over-trying, and enough never is, you can never be enough, you can never do enough... Whenever you see over-trying, suspect that the code is at play. Self-loathing. There are times when we say things to ourselves that you would never say to your best friend. You wouldn't even say it to, you know, somebody who didn't even like very much. There, you, we say things that are so insidious. That's self-loathing. When you see self-loathing happening and you see, you catch yourself going... You are so stupid. Why did you do that? Just, that's just saying you're not enough. You have to, you have to get your act together. That's the code Do to be. So if I do something extraordinary, I can be extraordinary. So it's do more to be more bargaining. If I fast or if I pray or if I give more, then I can obtain God's favor. Whatever you see bargaining, suspect the code. Preoccupation with the physical, your body, your clothes, your house. The code is based on comparison. So when you are preoccupied about those things and comparing yourself to what others have, expect that the code's at work there. Oscillation. When you see yourself oscillating between I'm really proud and superior and I'm looking down on people over to self-loathing or rigid, rigid, extreme discipline and rules right over to fleshly binges, expect that the code is at work when you see oscillation. Comparison, we've talked about that. Conditional, only accepting others when they meet the conditions. So you can see this, right? I'm a little boy. Uh, in our house, we all had chores. I had to clean the kitchen and the bathroom every Saturday, even as a young, young boy. So just picture this. Brady, you did such a good job. You did such a good job. You are such a good little worker. I love you. That's an atheist factory right there. That's an atheist factory. Because basically, I now know that I will feel a very special feeling if I'm a good worker. And I became a good worker. And so I have to watch myself so carefully. I mean, we're up at our cottage in the summertime. I have grandchildren all around me. If I am not unbelievably vigilant, I will work the entire time. Because I know if I do that, I'll get that pat on the head. Pretty, you're a good little worker. I love you. That's the code. Resentment. When you are working so hard in this church and you see other people not picking up, not doing their part, when you see resentment happening, suspect the code. Rulemaking making when you are constantly trying to make new rules to govern your behavior and stay on track, code. Murky guilt, loss-bearing. When when you see that there is a loss that needs to be grieved, it needs to be mourned, but you just suppress it. No, 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 I'm just, I don't entertain loss. I like entertaining hope. Uh, and I look towards the future. Let's just forget that. Let's just stuff that down. Because it speaks to failure. It's what it feels like. That if I grieve loss, then I'm admitting failure. If you're stuffing failure and loss, suspect. And then there's this ooze. Uh, What you're saying outwardly is that you're affirming, you're accepting either your children or other people. But inside you are actually experiencing an ooze, a silent ooze of disappointment towards them. It's the code. Panic. Something is happening and you see the promise. It's all coming together, but inside you're going, it will be snatched away. I know it will be snatched away at the last minute because it never, ever works out for me. It's always taken away in the last second. That's the code. Judgment. Seeing someone's behavior and actually going, I really wish they would experience the consequences of the behavior. That's the code. Shame. Suspicion. Somebody experiences a setback a disaster, and before you know it in your mind, you're going, what did they do wrong? They must have done some sin or they wouldn't be experiencing that. That's the code. And finally, this earning, that you experience a surprising windfall in your life and you start substantiating, well, that must have happened because I did this. It must have happened because we did that you're just earning it you are as superstitious as a a prophet of Baal hammering themselves with a sharp rock to get God to come down and consume the sacrifice you are as superstitious as a spiritist or an animist or anybody like that that if we do this then the gods will hear and act has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the love of God. It has nothing to do with being a child of God. It has nothing to do with the ridiculous grace of God. My ask of you this week, it's going to get better next week. We are going to talk about the gospel uh, and just what God has put inside of us, I think it's going to be exciting for you. It's exciting for me, and living out of that for me has been very, very exciting. But for now, I think it could be really helpful for you to look at, where does the code show up for me? Or where has it over the years? And there might be one or two of these things, maybe even more, and you go, God, I can see that at work. You know, periodically, every once in a while, uh that shows up. And so, what's going on there, God? For me to get to that place of clarity of much will be expected, but you will not be supported. Getting crystal clear on that was so helpful for me. Because then I know what my point of need is. If the gospel is Jesus at the point of need, I now know very clearly, Jesus, I'm asking you into this. This tension that I feel of so much will be expected of me here, but I won't be supported. I have to know Jesus with me. I walk into situations like, This week, I'll walk into situations with with groups of leaders and with CEOs who are looking at me and expecting an answer. And I'm that deer in the headlights. Much will be expected of me in that moment. I have to know that God will support me. So knowing what your point of need is, is very helpful because that's what you're inviting Jesus into. You you want to know what I want? My son keeps throwing himself in the fire. Fix that. You should be able to say it just like that. It's time to release you. All right. Let me just pray for a moment, okay? God, this is a bit sobering, and I pray that you will just use this part of the message to direct us and guide us into where you want to meet us. Direct us and guide us into how you want to show up, how the power of your gospel is going to transform that which is damaging to us which restricts us, which constrains us, which debilitates our relationship with God and with others. So before we get into that incredible, powerful gospel, would you speak clearly to us this week about what we're inviting you into? Thank you, God. Amen.